Church, as we get into it, would you go to the Lord in prayer with me? Father, we sing with our lips what a powerful, wonderful, magnificent name the name of Jesus is. He is your Son in whom you are well pleased. Pleased to have the fullness of deity and power to dwell in him. And you have exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. And you have set him in a high place higher than any person, any thing, any demon, any angel. And Father, we get to come boldly to that throne. The things that we need, the things that we're longing for, the things we don't even know we need that we need are all found at his feet. So, Father, in your patience, in your mercy, and in your grace, as we open your word, as we lift your name, as we look to you, that you would help us along this journey to see just how much we need Christ in every area of our life. And we pray it all and only in his name. Amen. Good morning, church. I know you guys are awake. We just sang praises. You guys lifting hands and you guys were singing. Good morning, church. There we go. Yeah. Hey, uh, excited, excited to get into this portion of Scripture. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. We're going to see that Jesus gets all the glory again today. The book of Ephesians does not hesitate and does not relax in making it all about Jesus. You know, I was reminded of just how important it is for the redeemed to say so as I listen to my brothers and sisters come up here and give testimony of the past and what God has done and who they are now and just how powerful and necessary that is, not only to proclaim that, but for the sake of those listening, to see that there is actually a powerful name and it does work in the lives of those who look to him and who call on him. Today we're going to see and look back in the past. We're going to see what things were like. And we're going to see what God has done. But I'll say this. Maybe you're here this morning and you're saying there is not a I was. It is I am and I still am. I don't have the but God in my marriage right now. I don't have the but God with my children and my relationships with people at work. I don't have the but God has done something mighty in my life through addiction or through hostility in the relationships in my life. I'm in the midst of what I wish was the past. Listen, if you're you're here this morning and, and you're seeing the hostility in your marriage between your kids, people at work and relationships, and you're in the thick of it, You need to pay attention to what the Scripture says this morning. This portion of Scripture has been called the most important ecclesiological passage in the New Testament. No pressure, right? And as we look into it, we're going to see what Christ has accomplished, especially between the Jewish people and the rest of the world And how God has brought about the culmination of all of Scripture into the organism that he has been planning all along to be his hands and his feet, the church. 
So let me set the stage for you as we get into it. As we look into history, many wonderful and events can be seen and read about. Some awesome, some sad, and some downright appalling. Probably one of the most horrific uh, is that of our parents' and grandparents' history when the dictators of the Axis powers began the reign of terror upon Europe. Great sorrow, anger, and fear shook the foundation of the world. And as we read about those things, even today, still shake us to our core. Who could imagine the carnage? Anywhere from 50 to 80 million people killed as a result of just a few men who waged war on the world. To say that hostility existed would be an understatement. Thankfully, evil men were stopped, and for the most part, seemingly, hostility died with them, but not without a price. It's estimated about 3% of the world's total population died as a result of World War II and many circumstances surrounding it. Around half a million of those lives were American soldiers who laid down their lives, not just for Americans, but for the whole world. And then I say no wonder they call the people who emerged from that generation the greatest generation. But let's be honest, almost 80 years later, we look out in the world and what do we still see? Hostility, hostility, hatred, division, brewing all over. In our own country, a wall of division and hostility is being bricked and mortared every day by those of opposing political views and beliefs. One brick after another, the hatred and disgust for those on the other side only continue to grow. And we are simply another generation at the mercy of our depraved flesh that will only continue to climb the ladder of corruption and control. We all would admit we feel the birth pangs of war constantly. And all I got to do is turn on the TV or look at YouTube to see the hate and the disdain in the eyes of people every day. So let's not be surprised if we find ourselves repeating history. You know, that's what I was told history class is for. That's why history was so important, right? We study these things so we don't repeat these things. We remember what it was like in the past. We remind ourselves how they got there, and we make sure we don't do the same things, right? That's always been what I was told. And as we get to Scripture, we're going to see that probably one of the greatest hostilities that has always existed for most of time has been the hostility between the Jewish people and everyone else outside of Judaism. The hostility between Jews and Gentile was great until Christ came and he changed all of that. So here's what I want us to look at. I want us to see a couple ways through this passage, a couple ways that we can see we can avoid repeating history. Maybe you're still in the thick of it. What you'll see from this passage is what needs to happen now to make what you're going through history. A couple ways we can avoid repeating history. Look at the first one. It's the first thing. The first thing we did in our testimonies, and it's the first thing that Paul's going to remind the Ephesians of. He's going to tell them, you want to avoid repeating history? You want to keep the past in the past? You want to keep that hostility between you and the Jews and the Gentile in the past? First thing you got to do is remember what it was like in the past by remembering that past hostility. Look at verse 11 of chapter 2. 
Paul says this, therefore, therefore, he put that word there because of the message we heard from Pastor Todd when he reminded us of who we were in the past. We were dead in our trespasses and sin, and now he turns their attention to think about something else in the past as well. And he says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by, by what or who is called the circumcision, which is made by flesh uh, and hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. When we look back in the past of the Jews and the Gentile, the first thing we see is they had hostility with one another. Look back and remember the past hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile. He says there, to the Gentiles, which is everyone that's not Jewish, everyone outside of Judaism. He says, therefore, remember what time you Gentiles in the flesh called, and he puts in quotations, the, the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. What he is saying there is, hey, remember what it was like before you had this fellowship with one another with Jewish people? Jewish people called you the uncircumcision, and they called themselves the circumcision. Why was this why was this mockery? Well it was because to be uncircumcised meant to still be part of a pagan world, to be unclean, to be distant and separated from God. And so God gave the sign of circumcision as the removal of a flesh which represented being separated and removed from uncleanness and separated and belonging to God. So to call someone uncircumcised would be to point your finger and say, get out of here, get away from me, you unclean, uncircumcised, Gentile, pagan. Remember what David said when he heard Goliath mocking Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Except he probably would have done it with a pubescent voice as young as you. Who, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? But that only carried over, and by the time we see Jesus coming on the scene, you see great, 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 great hostility. You look through the Old Testament, the Jews are constantly fighting with who? The Gentiles, those outside of Judaism. Constantly at war and constantly facing hostility with one another. The Gentiles were called the uncircumcision by those who laid claim to that circumcision, which is a physical sign and something performed by hands. Barclay says this, this was one of the first and great divisions. The Jews had an immense contempt for the Gentiles. Listen to this. They said that the Gentiles were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. And that God loved only Israel of all the nations that he had made. The best of the serpents crush, they said, the best of the Gentiles kill. It was not even lawful to give help to a Gentile woman in childbirth, for that would be to bring another Gentile into the world. The barrier between Jews and Gentiles was absolute. If a Jew married a Gentile, the funeral of that Jew was carried out. Such contact with the Gentile was the equivalent of death. Even going into the house of a Gentile made a Jew unclean. And before Christ, the barriers were up. We're going to see after Christ, he's broke them down. Now, I would, I would venture to say pretty much all of us in here, here and here would be classified a Gentile. And so as we're looking at what Paul was telling to these believers, 
we don't necessarily get the full impact of what he's saying because we don't really remember a time when Jews were going around calling us the uncircumcised and feeling alienated and strangers to these very things we're about to see. Look back in the, repa- look back in the past and remember the hostility. One, the hostility you had with one another. But secondly, look at this, the hostility that we had with God. He says here in verse 12, he says, remember, again, remember that you were at that time, what time? Before Christ, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Four things, four things we see as the result of being in hostility or being an enemy to God. Being outside of Christ, this is the state and the particular state of the uncircumcised. First, he says this, there is no future, no future for those outside of Christ. We had no future before Christ. He says this, remember at one time that you were separated from Christ. Specifically, what he's saying there is separated from a Messiah. Think about this. The Jews throughout all of history, no matter what they went through, no matter what type of slavery they went through, no matter what they came up against, even the discipline of the Lord and being in captivity for 70 years, no matter what they faced, they always had this one thing. The Messiah is coming and he will make all things right for us. The Jews had that. The Gentile was left without a future. To suffer pain in the world, to see a loved one die, to go through horrible pain like being put into slavery, there was no hope in the future. Remember, at one time, we had no hope, no future, no Messiah. Now we do. We have a future in Christ. And as we sit here and we remember this, our minds should reflect and go out into the world of the people who still have no future and are separated from Jesus and find mercy and compassion for them. He says this, remember that you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. What's he saying there? Remember the hostility you had with God before you knew Christ, you had no rights. And for the Gentiles to be aliens to the commonwealth of Israel, no rights. We only have to look at immigration today and we understand the, the desire, the desire in people outside of American citizenship to want to come and be a part of America. And we're constantly dealing with that. Why? Because I want the rights of being American. For the Gentiles, they were aliens to the citizenship of Israel. But in Christ, we have rights. Things like this. First Timothy says this. Godliness is a value in every way. Being devoted to God, being devoted to Jesus is a value in every way as it holds promises for the present life and also for the life to come. Being a citizen of heaven now gives us bold access to God. We can come boldly to his throne because of Jesus. Being a citizen through the Spirit gives us the indwelling Spirit that gives us an inheritance and a promise and counseling, and comfort, and help. Some of the rights we have now are peace that passes understanding, a supernatural peace that God gives us when the pains of life are bringing us down. We have access to it. 
And one of the rights of being a part of God's people now is the people itself, the body of Christ that's there to edify, strengthen, and minister to one another. Now think about my own life. If I, if I were taken away from the Messiah and taken away from God's people and the citizenship of being in the body, the things that I would lack and miss and be away from would be tragic. Then he says this, strangers to the covenants of promise. No blessings, no privileges. There's no blessings. Everything we've gone through in chapter 1 and up to this point, you had none of it. Before Christ, we had none of it. He says, strangers to the covenants of promise. You look through the Old Testament and you see the covenants, the promise that God gave to Abraham, the things that said, I will bless you. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And I'm giving you something. An unconditional promise the Gentiles had no access to. They didn't have covenants of promise. They didn't have these. And finally, the culminating thing that we see that this brings us to, the hostility with God that the Gentiles once had and we all once had before Christ, finally what that means is no hope. No hope and without God in this world. Paul says this, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, dead, that you may not grieve as others who do not have no hope. That was the first thing I thought of when I read this, the, the grief that someone without God goes through in this world is one that is hopeless. And when a loved one dies, that's it. There is no future hope of seeing that person or being with that person. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him all of those who have fallen asleep or who have died before us. And so we grieve, yes, but we don't grieve like someone who has no hope. You see, remembering how things were in the past is necessary to avoid repeating it. Constantly division and hostility is fighting for a place in our hearts against one another. And remembering the sad state of those things is important. Peace is what is always at stake, and the only thing we can do to either gain peace or keep it is through this next point, this next way we avoid repeating history. It's by remaining in Christ, who is our peace. By remaining in Christ, who is our peace. And here's what we see at shift. Paul lays out... He lays out the way things were, and he says, hey, Gentiles, remember, remember. We read through the New Testament, we see constant, 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 constantly things fighting to go back to the way they were. You think it was a smooth transition? Remember how things were. Now get along. And he says this, first, Remain with Christ our peace because he's the only one who will give us peace with one another. He's the only one who will give us peace with one another. Look at verse 13. He says, but now. You see that? I was, but God, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Oh, that word, but now, is so beautiful. So beautiful. It means something happened. Something has changed. Something happened in history that has brought about a change. 
That was then, but this is now. So let's focus on what is true or focus on what could be true for you if you still haven't experienced it. But now, God himself waged war against the forces of darkness through Jesus, and he won. And so now there's something different. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off. Now, this is everyone who's apart from Christ. Everyone who's apart from Christ is separated and far off. But here, he's reminding the Gentiles, hey, you weren't close to God. You were far off. You were outside and being described as far away from God and far off from the Jews and his people and all of these things. You were, you were a hostile enemy of God and his people. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near. You didn't bring yourself near. No one else brought you near. And Christ Jesus, he has brought you near. The same nearness that the Jews have. Talking about all of the Gentiles. And really what this really means is that salvation is equally available to all people. There are no exclusions. And how have we been brought near? How have we been brought near? Normally, as we see in our own life, peace does not happen without sacrifice. And the peace we experience in Christ did not happen apart from sacrifice. We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And remember in chapter 1, we talked about the redemption that we have through his blood and what it took and what it takes to bring peace with one another is found in the blood and the sacrifice of Christ. Look at verse 14. It says here, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He himself is our peace, he says there. This means the road to peace, both with one another and, as we'll see, with God. The road to peace is not found through some strategy of war, through a formula, through some political agenda. The path to peace with one another will be and always will be through Christ himself. He is our peace. And what has he done? He's made us both one, Jew and Gentile, who were both far off, nothing to do with each other, with the wall of hostility that existed between them, having nothing to do with one another. He's made us both one. I want you to imagine. Let's, 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 take, this, let's take this and apply it to our country. Imagine what it would take to reconcile the great divide in our country. Let's be honest. I don't, mean, I don't mean a cordial peace where we just kind of do what we've been doing and kind of are nice to each other. But the way I see it brewing, and I think we all can see it because we have eyes and we're not dumb, is that things are only getting worse and worse and worse. And we're no longer even giving each other courtesies and respect for opposing views. Hatred is being brewed. Hatred for one another is being brewed. And we're seeing the pure, depraved heart of man at work trying to get what he or she wants. I'm talking about a deep, intimate affection and concern and love for one another. Unity. Guess what? Policy won't fix it. A president won't fix it. Perfectly crafted logical debate and argument won't fix it. 
Christ is the only means to true peace with one another. Only means to true peace with one another. It says here, he has broken down in his flesh. Now I want you to see this, and I purposely skipped over it at the beginning. Look where it says what he did is he broken down, and it says there, in his flesh. But, but look back up with me, if you would, to verse 11. Look at verse 11. It says, Therefore remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by who calls themselves by what is called the circumcision by the Jews. And it says here, which is made by flesh, made in the flesh by hands. He's given a contrast here. You see, man's work with his hands and in the flesh, the things that man has done, like something like circumcision, like a physical work with the hands, has only caused division. And God has implemented that. And in part, God's plans and everything excluded the Gentiles, and it was for a reason. But man's works and the works of his hands in his flesh will never accomplish what we actually need and want. They will only bring further division. But in his flesh, Jesus' flesh, what has he done that no man or nothing else could do? No law, no policy, nothing could do this. We look out and we see, no, 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 no. The wall that exists in our country is an impossible wall. The only thing that will fix it is one coming to the other side or this side coming to the other side. That's the only thing that will fix it. But Jesus says, no, I come in and in my flesh I accomplish the impossible. And I break down the wall of hostility that existed between these two people. Christ in his flesh accomplished salvation for all people, the fulfillment of the law, the appeasement of God's wrath of sin and the destruction of his own flesh, the removal of the wall that segregated the Jews and the Gentiles, the dividing wall of hostility. Again, today as we read this, we don't get the impact that these Gentiles and these Jews would have got as they read this because they lived during that time of hostility. You see, visually, both the Jews and the Gentiles, as they read this, they, they would have no doubt thought of probably the physical wall that actually existed in the temple that kept the Gentiles out. Listen to this. First, there was the court of the Gentiles. Then the court of the women, then the court of the Israelites, then the courts of the priests, and finally the holy place itself. So the Gentiles are at this place far off, way on the outside. And it says only into the first of these courts could a Gentile come. Between it and the court of the women there was a wall and set into it um, tablets which announced that if a Gentile proceeded any further he would be liable to instant death. So when he's talking about a dividing wall of hostility, maybe they even thought in their minds would have gone to, yeah, everything that we see ceremonially from the Jews excludes us and reminds us that we're far away from God. And Jesus says, I've broke it down and I've brought you near. And what exactly did Christ do to remove this wall? Look at verse 15. It says this, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he may create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Now, we've got to stop there. Right at the beginning it says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. I could spend all day talking about specifically what that is, but let's, let's narrow it down generally. The law of Moses. The law of Moses is what's being talked about here. 
and all the ceremonies and the rituals that the Jews had that excluded the Gentiles. All of that had been abolished, it says, by Christ. Fulfilled and taken out of the way. And the purpose of that was so that he might create in himself, not in the laws, not in legalism, not in outward expressions, not in rituals. It's not what gets you close to God. Never was, it's not now, and it's not will ever be. In himself, in Jesus, faith in him, that he would create in himself, and get this, this is important, one new man in place of the two. Why is this important? Because the Jew and the Judaizers would have constantly been trying to tell Gentiles that they needed to jump in on some of these Mosaic laws and live like a Jew. And Paul's saying here, no, it's not I've brought the Gentiles and now they get to be like Jews. And it's not that I'm telling a Jew now he has to live like a Gentile. Jesus has come in and he's taken both people and he's brought them together and created a brand new man in place of the two, in place of the two. And what's the result? So making peace. Romans 10, 4 says this, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. You look at the book of Galatians and it's very interesting because Paul is almost saying the exact same thing here, except he's saying it to the Jews instead of the Gentiles. And so this is what Paul says to a more Jewish audience with a similar thing in mind. He says, now before faith came, we were held, under, held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law had purpose. The law was good. The law still is good. But the law had a purpose. And it was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith, seeing our need for Jesus. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We're not under the law anymore. We're not under the Mosaic law. We're not under the ceremonies anymore. Not under the rituals. We're under Christ. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. You hear that? Through faith. For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and this is what he says, here it is, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is either slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Those who are the sons of God, doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your culture, doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, those who are God's, completely 100% sons of God are those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. And every wall is broke down, and they have immediate, instant access into God as a family member. There is no second-class citizen. There is no red-headed stepchild. There is no Jew. There's no Greek. It's one man. It's the body of Christ. And all people have access in that through Jesus by faith. And the purpose was to create himself one man in place of the two, the body of Christ, making peace. Only Jesus can bring peace with one another. But look what Jesus also has done. Not only peace with one another, but look at this church, peace with God. Peace with God. Verse 16. And might reconcile. What's his purpose? 
create one new man in place of the two, and might reconcile us who? I want you all to look at verse 16. Reconcile us, it starts with the B. What's that word say? Verse 16 starts with the B, might reconcile us both. So Jews, unless you think that you still had some type of special access to God, you were just close. You were close. The Jews have been brought near, and now you're both in the same position of equally needing God and needing forgiveness. Reconcile. You both need reconciliation with God. That's the ultimate issue, is that we're both, and all of us, enemies of God until we come to faith in Jesus. doesn't matter what your blood is. doesn't matter if you're, you have the lineage of Abraham or Jewish blood. You still need Jesus, and faith in Jesus is what we all need. Might reconcile us both to God in one body. And how has he done it? Through the cross, again, through his sacrifice on the cross, thereby his death killed the hostility. You see that? His death killed the hostility. And he came and he preached peace. He preached peace to you who were far off, to the Gentiles who thought they would never have any access into this. He preached peace to you, but he also preached peace to those who were near because those who were near needed it as well. The Jews needed it as well. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. God is so good. Now let's bring this home, church. Let's bring this home because we want to avoid repeating history. We've got to remember what the past was like, and we've got to remain. He was telling them, but now in Christ. He's telling them, you have peace in Christ. And so he says, stay there. Remain in Christ who is your peace. Let's bring it home. What type of hostility exists in your marriage right now? What type of impossible wall of hostility is there that you're saying there's no way it'll come down? And you're doing the same thing that all the world has done, telling the other person to come to your side. What about hostility exists between you and your child? What's the answer? What about hostility between you and a, maybe a coworker? Any hostility, whatever it is, what's the answer? And so here's what I need. I need three volunteers. I need someone who will be Jesus. Who wants to be Jesus? I'm going to pick someone. Caden's like, please no, please no, please no. Caden, <laughs> would you come be Jesus for me? Come here, bud. Michaela, connected eyes with you. You can, you can come be some. Uh, you'll be a wife. How about that? And uh, let's see. Drew, you had your hands up. You had your hands up. So, Caden, come here. I want you to stand here. You're right here. Caden's going to represent Jesus, right? Drew, I want you to go stand down that aisle there. Michaela, I want you to go stand down that aisle there. Now let's pretend that this is some type of relationship. Maybe it's a marriage relationship. Look at how far, look at how far away these two people are. And when you're in a situation and maybe you're at great war with your spouse right now, great war, so frustrated, so mad, wishing the other person would change, Googling everything you can to try to figure out how to make that person better. What this passage is saying, and it's not cliche, it is the only answer, the only thing, the only thing, church, and I'll say that boldly, the only thing that will bring true peace and love and intimate affection in your marriage is for you both 
to draw closer to Christ. Now, Michaela and Drew, I want you both get close to Christ. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens in this. It is impossible to get close to Christ without getting closer and closer to each other. It is impossible. Jesus is himself, Ephesians tells us, our peace. And so what we need in our marriages, as an example, we don't need some type of special formula or book or for the other person to change. I need to get closer to Christ. I need to get closer to Christ. Now, Michaela and Drew, you can go sit down. Kate and I want you to stand, stand here because I still need a reference to Jesus. What if the other person's not going to get closer to Christ, though? What if the other person's not going to get closer to Christ? Maybe it's a kid. Maybe you got great hostility with a child. Well, let me tell you what doesn't work. Let's say you're over here as the parent. Your child's way over there. I'll tell you what doesn't work. Because, you know, I know they need Jesus. They need Jesus. Hey, get closer to Jesus. Get closer to Jesus. Come on. Get over, get, get over there closer to Jesus. That's what you need. That's what you need. Look at you. Look how rude and disrespectful. Get closer to Jesus. Googling, trying to figure out how can I help this rude, insubordinate child. Your child is just revealing the true nature of all of us. And their issue isn't something that is going to be fixed by medicine or some type of six-step program that you're going to find on a wiki how. If they won't get closer to Christ, you know what the only thing you can do as a parent is? You know what the only thing you can do is? You can, you can teach them what the truth is. You can pray for them. You can pour your heart out to them. But ultimately, you can get close to Christ yourself. And you get closer to him. You're remaining in him. He's abiding in you. You're abiding in him. And his spirit's working through you. You can next to Christ say, come, come here, trust me. You need him just as much as I need him. You need him just as much as I need him. Look what he's done for me. He can do that for you. It's the greatest control we have as a parent. And we better make sure we're going, growing closer to Christ ourselves if we expect our kid to get closer. Thank you, Caden. How do we avoid repeating history? Well, we've got to remember what it was like in the past, and we've got to stay in Christ, grow closer to him, because he is the only thing that will bring peace. And I hope that you have encouragement this morning. I hope the enemy is not winning in your heart as you're thinking about some type of hostility you have with someone and you're justifying yourself and the right side of the wall that you're on. And you'll come to Christ and let him break down those walls of hostility, realizing that we all need Jesus just as much as the other person we're disagreeing with. Let's pray. Father, you are better than we deserve. God, we need you every single day. And God, you alone have brought a person, your son, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, who has come down, who has defeated death, hell, and the grave. He's taken the enemy, and he has chucked him off into the distance and said, you have no power here. <laughs> and God, you have broken down every wall, and you've brought peace peace with one another, peace with you. And God, we stand here and we say, we know we would be nowhere else if it wasn't for Jesus. We, we, we'd be everywhere else except for next to you because of Jesus. 
And so as we reflect on where we were and we say, but God, in Christ Jesus, who is our peace, he has redeemed me. He has set me free. He has taken every, every single step of the enemy and thrown it away. And he's made me a child of God. And now I have a bright future. I have a hope. I'm a part of these promises and I will inherit them. And now I have Jesus next to me. Because I'm next to Jesus. And God, what a glorious, glorious day it was when you saved our souls. And you awakened our dead heart to become alive. And what a glorious day it will be when we finally get to see the face of the one who's broken down every wall. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for who you are. Now work in our hearts to give you the praise and the honor you deserve. In Jesus' name alone, amen.